It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, December 17th, the year of our Lord, 2020 National Signing Day in the books. It was you and I and Barton and Steve Wolfong, Director Colin, Trey, a cast of several thousand others it felt like, but not really for eight hours straight in this very room yesterday, but yet we got through it. Thanks in large part to you guys. So thank you so much for tuning in. Heard a lot of good feedback from you. Saw a lot of good numbers from you. So I know good and well you guys were watching, even if you don't admit it. And we really appreciate you hanging in there with us. So that's Obviously, in the rearview mirror now, but there is a lot still to chop up about it. So I'm going to give you some very overarching thoughts about signing day tonight. I am also going to do several more conference championship game picks tonight. We got the SEC and the ACC out of the way the other night. But some of the games I'm most looking forward to, including one I have just a vested emotional interest in, I'm going to break down in just a few minutes, the Auburn coaching search. Got a little... I wouldn't call it a blockbuster tidbit of information, but got some information today, so I'm going to deliver that to you. I know there have been several reports I've seen floating around out there today. I'll comment as much as I can on that. Again, as I told you the other night, just because there's a new tweet or new report every hour or a post every hour doesn't mean there's new news every hour. So we'll do our best to get you caught up on the Auburn coaching search with apparently no end in sight. And we're going to deliver best bets. I thought at the beginning of the week, I told Colin when he was making the graphic, we're probably not going to have all five of our little Ramen Noodle Express boxes filled up. I was wrong. We have all five. So we are going to have two new picks against the number before we go off the air. I have not tweeted these out. They were just added in like the last hour. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. Got a jam-packed show. So let's dive into it. And I want to start with some signing day thoughts. Yesterday was obviously a day the likes of which the sport of college football has never seen. This studio has certainly never seen it. And the reason is because of so many things converging. It's conference championship week. Then we've got, because the dates were pushed back, early signing day happening right in the middle of it. I have it on good authority that coaching staffs for Florida, Oklahoma, Alabama, it was very commonplace to have coaching staffs actually on the field yesterday just walking around with these. I'm holding up a cell phone if you're listening on the podcast and you just had to multitask. I listened to several press conferences afterwards yesterday and coaches were just kind of open about the fact that can't complain about it. I mean, you just got to deal with it. No one cares if you lose Saturday afternoon or Saturday night. No one's going to ask you in the postgame, Coach, um, it, it must have been hard because you had to deal with two things at one time this week. All they're going to say is you get paid eight-plus million dollars a year. You, you should be able to deal with it. And so it was a really unique situation. Some things that I noticed. As soon as we walked out of here and I was driving home last night, eventually, or, uh, or finally, I was thinking back to our show. I couldn't remember the date, but I went back and found it. It was May 29th. And we were sitting in this very studio. Uh, it's an eternity ago now. COVID had just set in. We were a little ways into it. Staffs had come off the road and recruiting classes were very quickly piling up verbal commitments. Remember this. This was the era in time that Tennessee was a top five class. Ohio State was way up there. They were the number one class by a mile. Alabama had one verbal commitment and they were ranked 41st in the country. So we did a segment because I was getting a lot of questions. There were two, two of the most popular questions were, is Ohio State going to have the greatest class ever? And is Alabama going to have their worst class ever under Nick Saban? 
Now, the answer for Ohio State, I thought maybe yes, and the Buckeyes have a very good class right now. But Alabama certainly wasn't on pace to have their worst class ever. I didn't believe it then, and it certainly have been validated now for once in my life. But I clipped some of that. I put it on Twitter last night. Here was the reason. The reason was because of what we were hearing behind the scenes. There was no shortage of talent Alabama had access to. They just decided to take their time. So then we interviewed Nick Saban for the Social Distance Series, and I asked him, there are some programs, without mentioning names, Tennessee, that are racking up verbal commitments. You guys haven't really taken many as far as we can tell publicly. Granted, we can't see the whole picture. Have you chosen to take a different approach? And he said, we're not doing anything different this cycle. Uh, Essentially, what he said is, you'll see. Find me in December. You'll see. So, yesterday arrives. And there we have not only Alabama surpassing every one of our wildest expectations about what they could do in this class, not only is Alabama well on their way as we sit in this studio yesterday to locking up the number one class, after they get a couple of flips, it looks like they may be on track to lock up the highest rated class of all time, which I can assure you when Barton and Steve and I walked in the studio yesterday morning, none of us expected to talk about. We had uh, Bud Elliott down in Orlando or down in Fort Lauderdale. I can assure you, none of us talked with him about that beforehand. But yet there we were about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. Steve Wolfong kind of, he kind of flagged us down over here. He's behind the camera. And that's where he was physically positioned yesterday. And so he waves us down. I just tossed to him. I don't know what he's about to say. And he says, Jojo Earl. Kind of look at Barton. Kind of look back. Like, what, what about him? He's going to LSU. Well, not anymore. He's not. He just flipped. And he is going to not only flip, but sign with Alabama today. So here's what had happened. Xavier Worthy was a wide receiver prospect that we had followed, obviously. He's been committed to Michigan for a while. One of the biggest talking points coming into signing day was Will Jim Harbaugh and Michigan be able to hold on to him? Or will he end up flipping to Alabama? Well, he didn't. I'd heard for about a week, feel really good if you're a Michigan fan about Xavier Worthy. Well, it feels like Alabama probably got those same headwinds because they had worked on JoJo Earl. And it's not that they started recruiting him a week ago, but I get the sense from talking to some people, this really only got some traction in the last week or two. And it certainly didn't get public traction until yesterday when it actually happened. And there's a spot and JoJo Earl's got it, and he takes it. That's a top 100 receiver that flips to Alabama, which gives them four of the top nine wide receiver prospects in America. So when you look and you use your common sense and you check out the fact that by the time the next NFL draft comes around, they will have lost in two consecutive drafts, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, potentially Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Well, you could never replace that. Well, no, most folks can't. That guy can Nick Saban's not, he's, uh, he's not finding it to be quite as impossible as it once seemed. So the perception was different from the reality there. The perception was it's probably going to be Xavier Worthy or, or really no one else for Alabama. They're probably just going to sign the guys they have. And that wasn't the case. The other thing that I found really interesting for their class is they had 24 and all 24 are early enrollees, which I think is the first time they've ever done that. So that's obviously a benefit. Ohio State, this is a phenomenal class for the Buckeyes. I just can't believe anyone other than them has the number one class in the country based on what it felt like in the spring. And it's not a knock to Ohio State. Like they've gotten a vast majority of the talent that they looked to be in the lead for or be in the running for. It's just Saban and Alabama have been that good. But Ohio State, it's really really fun to watch them if you don't have to play them, if you don't have to compete against them. Because I've felt for a while now, they're not even recruiting against other programs in the Big Ten. Like yesterday, we had... So many opportunities to talk about Ohio State on the signing day show. I cannot remember off the top of my head, Colin. I don't think, though, that we ever once talked about Ohio State versus 
any team in the Big Ten. We didn't talk about the comparison between Buckeyes Wolverines. We didn't talk Buckeyes Nittany Lions. We didn't even talk about it. I think it's a waste of time to do it. it. It's just the supreme amount of respect I have for them. They know. Ryan Day knows. And so, again, let's use perception versus reality again. That was kind of a common theme when I was kind of undressing yesterday. The perception for Ohio State is, why are they so rabid and intense about this recruiting deal? Like, they're number one by 100 miles in their conference. That's true. That's not how Ryan Day views his program, though. He doesn't view himself, whether he tells you or not. He knows that their chief competition coming into the year is not Michigan. It's not Wisconsin. It's not Penn State. It's no one in their conference. It's Alabama. That's who they're competing against. It's Clemson. That's who they're competing against. And with all the talent that they get on campus, he knows it doesn't matter if we beat Rutgers into a coma. He does, it doesn't matter how many touchdowns we beat Michigan State by. That doesn't matter. We stack up all this talent just to be able to compete. Like You've got to have an insane amount of talent just to be put on a neutral field with the big boys and be under a touchdown underdog. Like Notre Dame's got a really, really good team. They're a 10.5-point underdog to Clemson Saturday. That's a really good team. That's ranked two. They're ranked number two in the country right now, whether you believe it or not, they are. So Ryan Day understands we stack all this talent up. We get every five-star we possibly can just to make sure that we're in a good position when we play Alabama or Clemson because the difference in those games are fractions. Just fractional differences between winning 30-27 to 27 and losing 31-28. to 28. He knows that everybody at Ohio State gets it, and it's really fun to watch again if you don't have to play him. Perception versus reality part three. You can go to Michigan and LSU. I viewed them as being in the same boat yesterday in terms of maybe theme because the perception from a casual college football fan had to be very puzzled watching yesterday unfold. The casual football fan sees Michigan struggling on the field. The casual football fan sees LSU just cratering, last week notwithstanding, obviously, on the field. And then also the casual fan sees Jim Harbaugh having his job status questioned and whether he's going to be there next year, and even if he is, which members of his staff will be there, what direction are they going. And the casual fan, likewise, looks in Baton Rouge at LSU, and they see all the off-field stuff, and every day there's a headline, and none of them are good. And so the casual fan has to think, who in their right mind would want to be associated with these programs? Then the casual fan turns on the National Signing Day show, and they see LSU locking up a top five class. And they see Michigan, and to me this was even more impressive, they see Michigan locking up a top 15 class, I think the number 12 right now, let me pull that up to make sure. But either way, whether they're 15th, 12th, whatever the case may be, that doesn't make, it can't make sense to you if you apply conventional wisdom. There's Michigan, they're number 12 right now. But here is what you need to pay attention to. With Michigan, for example, Colin's showing you B-roll of Jim Harbaugh right now. Up until this very moment, it is 7-11 on Thursday night here. We don't know what the future of Jim Harbaugh holds. We don't know what his contract status will be. It's all in limbo. And yet they still got J.J. McCarthy, who used footage of late kick in his video, by the way, yesterday. You got J.J. McCarthy, the five-star quarterback, the cornerstone of that class, and it was very much an effort that was led by that coaching staff and him. And so here's what we had unfolding with Michigan yesterday. It's not just a bunch of offensive guards that they had committed to him that kind of falsely inflated their recruiting ranking. Donovan Edwards, top 50 overall running back yesterday, chose the Wolverines over several other big-time programs. He committed in a blizzard, by the way, outside in a blizzard. They locked him up. They locked Xavier Worthy up. It's offensive skill. And now, you know, as Barton and Steve kind of broke down yesterday, 
Here's a here's a kind of a the tenth version of perception versus reality. You've watched Michigan offensively, and it hasn't been impressive, has it? Michigan fans know this all too well. You've watched them this year, and you've said, "Well, if we're not going to get something better than this, what good did it do to bring Josh Gaddis in?" Well, here's the problem. There's what Josh Gaddis wants to do, and then there's what he's been able to do. They're just now getting these kinds of guys, Xavier Worthy and the like. They haven't had them. You brought him in, and you wanted to, him to, to grow an orchard, and you wanted to be able to pick apples, and, and you gave him pumpkin seeds. And so he's had a pumpkin patch. You want an orchard, he's had a pumpkin patch. That is the best way that I can metaphorically describe Michigan's offense. The way you change it is you got to get new seeds. You got to get different parts, new players. Only now is Josh Gaddis beginning to see the guys walk on campus that run the way he wants guys to run. Really, when it comes down to it, their players haven't been fast enough, and they need faster players to do the things in space with speed that Josh Gaddis wants them to do. And you got the quarterback, hopefully, to deliver the ball to him. So don't be surprised if you see Jim Harbaugh come back to be looking back on this year, this this football year, couple years down the road and saying, boy, I sold all my Jim Harbaugh stock back then. I I didn't even think he was going to come back, but he came back and lo and behold, Michigan is pretty competent offensively now. Now, as for LSU, I was doing radio down in Ruston with my buddy Sean Fox down there today, and we were talking about how was how was Ed Orgeron really able to pull this off? How were they able to lock up what is currently the number four class in the country? And the way is they sold 2019. And these were a lot of guys whose relationships with LSU extend back into 2019 and before that, really. And so here's how you do it. He's already a good recruiter. LSU's got a staff full of really good recruiters. You go into the living room. I'm not going to do my Orgeron impression tonight. My voice hurts too badly. And you tell guys, listen, um, I know it looks bad right now. We don't have the horses. We don't have a bunch of you. We had them last year, and we don't necessarily have them this year. 2019 was not a mirage. Your eyes did not lie to you. All that actually happened. And the same guy who was the head coach of that team is sitting right here in your living room. I'm the head coach of this team. I plan on being the head coach of your team. So you can either believe that 2020 is reality, or you can believe what we did in 2019, we can do again. The only difference between that team and this team is we don't have good enough players. We get guys like you on campus, all of a sudden we got the magic ingredient again, and we'll duplicate what we did in 2019. You may not buy that, but plenty enough kids bought that. And that's all it takes. That's recruiting. You've got to sell. That's the name of the game. And so there sits LSU, number four, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, one through five. And hats off to Mario Cristobal, brand new contract in Eugene, Mario Cristobal at number six. And the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm just going to kind of glaze over this because we're going to hit it more uh, later in the show. The Auburn Tigers uh, fairly inexplicably are ranked number 40 right now. There are, I'm just going to shoot to you straight. There are not many kids in this Auburn class who would have a spot in the classes of their biggest rivals. That's just reality. So that's where it is with Auburn right now. They better get very, very serious. Again, I'm going to talk about this later in the show. They better get really serious because these other teams, LSU, Bama, Georgia, uh, uh, they're not slowing down. Texas A&M, all those teams are ranked top 15, many of them top five. They're not slowing down. They're not waiting on you. Like To them, you can either be a nice, difficult challenge they have every year, or you can be Vanderbilt. They don't care. Like They'll run over you gladly. you got to decide whether you're going to be serious about football or not. I'm going to talk more about Auburn in a second. And Tennessee, you know, as much as we were talking about them back in the spring, uh, they were sitting there top five. They had loaded up. It was, as it turns out, a lot more 
quantity than quality. I, I respected the approach because I thought it was more marketing than anything with Jeremy Pruitt. And they don't have a bad class right now. They are sitting at number 15. But I really believe back in the spring they'd be able to lock up a top 10 class. And it doesn't look like they'll be able to do that at this point. So those were just some initial takeaways from signing day. These classes aren't cemented. I mean, we still have an entire signing period to go until the late signing date in February and some big names still left on the board, but just some early thoughts there on signing day. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, Colin, let's roll on to some conference title previews. Got three, one, two, three, three more big ones here. Let's start with the Big 12 championship game. I've got a vested interest here. I've got bias all throughout this preview. I'm just going to put it out there right up front with you. I want to be honest. There's a team I'm pulling for to win this game. Iowa State is that team. They are a five and a half point dog to the Oklahoma Sooners. Noon kickoff. Got some Nooners on Saturday with uh, obviously conference championship implications. This one's on ABC. Iowa State, most of you probably don't know, hashtag our history. They were in the big six. They were in the big seven. These are conferences, by the way. They were in the big eight. They're in the big 12 now. It's been since 1912. They have yet to win an outright conference championship. So I was checking today. I mean, is there a place that I can pre-order Iowa State conference title gear with a full refund, money-back guarantee? I didn't find one. Uh, Both teams, I think, are playing their best football right now, which makes you really look forward to this game. Neither of these teams stumbled into the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma's offense has come on as Spencer Rattler has come on. It's not been without its hiccups, but they've looked a lot better. And I certainly think Iowa State... Just in totality, just as a whole, they're playing their best football. It's led by the quarterback position, too, and there's a reason for that, and I'll talk about it in a second. So they've already played this year. Iowa State won 37-30. Brees Hall ran for around 140 yards in that game. That's the running back there for the Cyclones. He has to be a big, big factor again in this one. The biggest evolution to me when you watch Iowa State this year has been the play of their offensive line. It wasn't too long ago when they were playing Billy Napier in Louisiana in week one, getting beat at home by double digits, mind you. It wasn't all that long ago that 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 offensive line was not a strength that day. I can confidently tell you that. And it was a huge question entering the season in general. And it's a strength now. It's not even just kind of things have balanced out and they're all right, they're decent. It's a strength now. And they've got a very good balance, which I know is what kind of concerns Lincoln Riley. they got a good balance of the fact that they can run the ball at you, they can throw the ball well enough, they probably play as fundamentally sound and as physical as any team that you face all year in the Big 12, even with an inferior roster if you believe in just pure star rankings. And I can tell you confidently, the folks here who attribute star rankings to players themselves don't believe that's all that it takes to make a good football player, so you certainly shouldn't believe that. 
Watch Spencer Rattler entering this game, quarterback for Oklahoma. So very early on, one thing I believe is if Oklahoma is hot offensively to start this, I don't think Iowa State can win the game. I don't think they can beat him unless there's just a meltdown of epic turnover proportions. I don't think they can beat him. However, Lincoln Riley knows all too well what turnovers have done at various points this year to both hurt and benefit his team. Uh, a little tidbit here. I don't think I've talked about this on the show. Oklahoma was preparing for Kansas. They were on the practice field uh, last week, and that's the time that the game got canceled. So they stopped practice. They go home. I've got it on pretty good authority. Lincoln Riley reconvened practice that night, got those players right back out of bed, got them back out on the practice field, and it didn't thrill the roster, but he knows, Lincoln Riley knows the challenge ahead of him. He said, we're not waiting a day. We're getting right into Iowa State preparation. So at the very least, if they lay an egg, it won't be because they're unprepared. I can tell you that. Their offense has, it's both flourished down the stretch, but it's not a machine like some of their offenses have been. There have been struggles. Even when they beat convincingly on the scoreboard, Oklahoma State, there were several drives that stalled. There was a dry period in that game. Oklahoma State was never going to do enough offensively. Baylor, same deal. Baylor was never going to do enough offensively. Iowa State can do enough offensively, I think, to make this a much closer ball game. And Iowa State feels for all the world like the matchup that will ultimately let them win this game is the fact that they feel like they have an advantage, their offensive line versus Oklahoma up front. They feel like they can disrupt all day. They feel like even if you have a running back now that you didn't in the first go-around, they feel like they can throw off timing and rhythm enough to where they can stand up physically to Oklahoma and they can take advantage offensively, maybe like Baylor and Oklahoma State can't. I didn't have Colin do game capsules. I will tell you that as the line is five and a half on this one, our numbers are a lot shorter. And because of that, and because, uh, as I told you, I have a vested interest here, just a strong bias towards the Cyclones. We're going to take Iowa State to cover, and I'm going to also take Iowa State to win. And as strongly as I've been a proponent of certain, te certain teams making the playoff, if we're in a world by 4.30 on Saturday afternoon where Iowa State has won the Big 12 championship and they currently sit number six in the playoff rankings, you will never see anyone more obnoxiously and openly stump for a team to make the playoffs than I will for Iowa State. Let's move on. Oregon versus USC. Southern Cal, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, maybe a three-point favorite now, depending on where you look. This is a Friday night game, so keep that in mind. It's tomorrow night. It's 8 o'clock Eastern time on Fox. It's in the Coliseum in L.A. Do you remember this time last year? Kind of doing some, some research on this game and the Pac-12 championship game last year was Oregon and Utah. And I, you know, I had trouble remembering it had gone down like this, but it did. Utah was going to the college football playoff if they won the game in all likelihood. And then Oregon smashed them 37-15, ended up not being close, and knocked Utah out of the game. And I wonder, is this Southern Cal playoff juice real right now? I, for the record, don't believe it is. I don't care which network out there uses what kind of branded predictor to tell you they've got a 50% shot of making this playoff. They don't. They don't have a 0% shot, but they sure as heck don't have a 50% shot. So Oregon, how do you make the case for them here? So I'm going to do something in reverse. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I'm taking Oregon to win the game outright, not just cover. I'm going to take a second underdog in as many games to win the game outright. How am I going to make the case for this? Because they've not been consistent all year, have they? They've been turnover prone all year. Well, therein kind of lies my argument. I'm a believer that good teams, good talented teams, eventually have a complete game in their arsenal. 
Here's how I'm choosing to look at Oregon this week. I've got a feeling that they will play the best football we've seen them play at the most important moment, which is the conference title game. What makes me believe that is, number one, they strike me as one of those teams in a normal year that would stumble over themselves early in the year, but you know, hey, the, the, the parts here are greater than the sum, it's supposed to be different. And eventually you get to week seven, week eight. This happens every year. You get to week seven or week eight, and all of a sudden a team that you wrote off early starts to hit its stride. Well, that could be happening this year too. The only difference is we don't have a 12-week season. We only have a five, six, seven-week season. And so there's going to be some team, and I'm going to count on it being Oregon this week, sorry, I had a hiccup there, that hits its stride, except instead of a midseason stride, it's a conference championship game stride. The second thing, and it's a more tangible reason that gives me hope here, is you know what our philosophy on turnovers is, especially when we have a team that's been disproportionately negatively impacted by turnovers versus a team that's been disproportionately positively impacted by turnovers. Oregon has lost games or struggled mightily to win them because they've turned the ball over. USC, conversely, has been on the opposite side of that. Those are very random occurrences. Broad strokes purposes, some teams are more disciplined than others, and therefore some teams can control the ball and protect the ball more than others. But in a one-game setting, that's very, very unpredictable. And so when you get some of those, the results that are baked in to make this number, this Southern Cal minus three and a half number, have been born out of plus and minus turnover differentials, thus the outcomes of games. And what I'm telling you is just as easily in this game, Oregon could end up being plus one turnovers. If they are, it totally renders every model and every algorithm that was used to generate this line moot. That's what we're counting on. Thirdly, I just think Oregon's a really good team. And I also look at the teams that have given them trouble. Uh, for instance, Oregon, Oregon State. That game I was listening to on the radio, Oregon State had a lot of success running the ball against the Ducks. UCLA almost beat Oregon, had some success running the ball against Oregon. Southern Cal's not going to do it. I don't even care if you are weak against the run. Southern Cal's just not that kind of team. So I believe that Oregon will have at least a little firmer footing being able to defend enough in this game to give themselves a real winnable shot I think they're going to win the game, and I think they're going to cover. So give me the Ducks plus three and a half, and give me the Ducks to win outright. And the Big Ten championship game is Saturday at noon Eastern time on Fox. This is Ohio State minus 20 and a half against Northwestern. This is normally in a primetime spot. I don't know what changed this this year. Well, I guess everything changed this year. That's how. This is normally an eight o'clock Eastern time kickoff. Why is that important here? It's not because it's a premier matchup. I mean, there's a three touchdown favorite nearly. But it's important to note, you will know before the ACC title game starts, you will know what the Ohio State Buckeyes did. You'll know if they lost, and that in and of itself will be a huge story. You'll know if they won close. There are some out there who believe Ohio State needs to win and win impressively Saturday just to make sure they're in. I don't know that I believe that, but there are some out there who believe that. Either way, you will know, for better or for worse, what the outcome is there. Tennessee and Texas A&M will be playing simultaneous to this. So you'll also know if Texas A&M is giving themselves a shot or not by the time the ACC title game kicks off. So I tried to make a path for Northwestern in this game. Anytime there's a big underdog, as I've told you before, I try and make the breakdown what I think the path to an upset would be. I really didn't find one. And I got all the confidence and respect in the world in Pat Fitzgerald. I just don't think they have a good enough team. And they certainly can't afford to fall behind. They don't score enough. They just have trouble scoring. And here's what I did. I tried to go the emergency disaster scenario. Let's say they're able to hold Ohio State to 24 points. I strongly doubt they will be able to. 
But even in that best case scenario, I couldn't find 25 points for Northwestern unless there's a meltdown, again, of turnover proportions. And there's no skill in predicting that. I just don't think it's there. I've heard the reports, just like you guys may have, or rumors, I guess we should call them, like you guys have today, about potential COVID issues for Ohio State. Maybe Chris Olave, maybe not. Listen, if he doesn't play, let, let's just assume he's not playing. Uh, this prediction remains the same. I'm going to take Ohio State to win. I don't have a strong feel on the line. We Our numbers think it's right in line with what we believe the outcome will be. But I'll, I'll take Ohio State minus 20 and a half as an odds maker is begging me to uh, think I'm getting good value by not having to lay three full touchdowns. I'll, I'll go into that. Not actually putting money on it. Ohio State wins. Ohio State minus 20 and a half. All right, let's talk about Auburn. Oh, boy. So, um, whew. Gus Malzahn has been out of a job for several days now. And when Gus Malzahn was announced as being out at Auburn Sunday, a lot of my Auburn folks rejoiced. I remember it. I still have the emails. In fact, I could pull them up right now, but I won't do that to you. Uh, what I am doing is pulling up AuburnUndercover.com to make sure that Auburn hasn't hired a coach since we went on air. Play it safe. They haven't, it doesn't look like. So do you remember what you felt like? When the announcement came down that Gus Malzahn was fired, and I'm talking specifically to Auburn fans at the moment, you can think along with me even if you're not an Auburn fan. What did you feel like? A lot of you felt like you needed to rejoice. A lot of you felt like going outside and blowing the car horn. Let's just celebrate because we're finally going to get rid of this mediocre coach, this average coach, and it can only get better. And I want to remind you, average is average for a reason. There's just as much below it as there is above it. But a lot of people think average is the floor. Average isn't the floor. Average is the floor of the second level. There's this entire level underneath it. It's called the basement, and you can easily fall down the stairs and find yourself there for an extended period of time if you don't know what you're doing. I don't know that Auburn knows what they're doing right now. So I want to ask you, what were your feelings when Malzahn first got fired, Auburn fans, and what are your feelings now? Because now one of your big fishes is off the table. A lot of you thought it was a foregone conclusion Mario Cristobal was going to be the head coach at Auburn. It was never going to happen. We never even gave it serious traction on this show. We never bought into it. However, there are other names out there. So all I could think about yesterday is we did the signing day show. Uh, even though we didn't talk about it on air a lot, all I could think about was Auburn. And it wasn't because we were talking about Auburn. Auburn's ranked 40th. We didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the Tigers recruiting class. All I could think about was we were talking about Alabama nonstop. We were talking about LSU nonstop. We talked about Georgia a fair amount. We talked about A&M. And you know what those four teams have in common. There's one program in America that has to play all four of them every year, and it's the Auburn Tigers. One of several reasons why I think it's the toughest job pound for pound in college football is because of the unique blend of expectations, the intersection of expectation and challenge. There's nothing like it in the sport of college football like exists at Auburn. And those teams aren't slowing down. Those programs aren't slowing down. And I'm thinking to myself, as I remember what I shared with you Tuesday night before signing day, I told you some people close to this coaching search had indicated signing day wasn't a big deal to them. They were not basing any timeline or any decision on signing day, which to me is it's stupid is what it is. It's really just stupid. Recruiting's the lifeblood of this sport. And so... I want you to think about two different programs. Think about South Carolina and think about Auburn. Okay, there's no way that Gus Malzahn, in the last couple of weeks of the season, convinced you he wasn't the answer for Auburn. Like if you didn't think he was, 
If, if you weren't sold on him after the Mississippi State game, that means you weren't sold on him well before that. Why didn't you fire him? Why didn't you do like they did with Muschamp? Get him out the door with a month left to go. So you get a head start on the coaching market, and you could hopefully get someone in place to where kids who are thinking about signing with Auburn and maybe even want to sign with Auburn have a reason to sign with Auburn because there's some stability. There's at least some tangible vision of the future. But they didn't because people running this coaching search don't really have a firm grasp of how college football works, as it turns out. Shocking, I know, for those who have followed Auburn before. And so they fumbled the ball. And now Auburn's sitting there with a very poor recruiting class, watching their rivals' rosters distance themselves further. And all the while, you seem to be no closer to hiring a head coach than you were when we entered this deal. And it looked like maybe someone was going to be locked up within 48 hours. That wasn't the case. That's why when I told you some people close to the search think they've got their man, they can think that. It's, it's reality that they thought it would go pretty quickly. But there's also a second reality that could be in place. The second reality could be maybe you get used for leverage for someone trying to get themselves extended elsewhere. Maybe that's happening. You have no way to climb into someone's head and know what they're doing. There is no sure thing. But now what we're looking at is we're looking at you paying $21 million for a guy who's been pretty darn good not to coach for you anymore and you having no earthly idea where you're going. If Kevin Steele is hired as the head coach at Auburn, they will revolt. A lot of the fan base will revolt. And I don't blame you one bit. Like I've told you before, there's some folks who make fun of fans for being overly passionate. I don't. Like I don't. First off, I appreciate the fact that because you feel that way, a company like 24-7 or CBS sees fit to pay me money to sit here and talk about this stuff because you're interested enough. I appreciate that. I know I wouldn't even be able to do this without you. So I've never been arrogant enough to think otherwise. But also, I grew up in the South. I grew up near Auburn. I understand why they feel the way they do. They value that place. A lot of them went there, obviously, or you got family that went there. You value the product. You value Auburn. You value what it represents. And therefore, you value the football program as being a symbol overall of what you believe Auburn to be. And you invest in it financially. You invest emotionally. And yet you got a few folks who have been successful in other walks of life but have never made a dime in the football world thinking they're experts in the football world because their money and their other ventures have bought them access to the world of football. And now they're running a search. And instead of running it successfully, they're running it into the ground. And you're going to be left with the product. And if the product is, for example, Kevin Steele, I got no problem with Kevin Steele. I think he's a phenomenal coach. Is he qualified to lead a program? one of the 10 or 15 best in America. Is that what Kevin Steele's resume, is that what that 9-36 and 36 head coaching record would tell you he's ready to do? I don't think so. You don't think so. You've spoken out against it, and I don't blame you whatsoever. So I don't know which direction Auburn's going to go. I just know they better get serious really, really quick because Bama, Georgia, LSU, A&M, they're not slowing down. It's, they, are, they are getting further and further distance from you in the horizon, and they're not slowing down. You can either keep up, or you can be a speed bump for him four times a year on the football field come fall. I hope I've been clear there. Uh, let's talk about the Ramen Noodle Express. You know, sometimes I get worked up over this stuff. I have, I have zero interest in Auburn. Like this stuff, it's not going to impact me one way or the other. But I just have, I know a lot of you guys watch the show. And so I know how you feel. And it really aggravates me sometimes to see things mismanaged. Um, because you got folks who really have no business being involved in something, involved in something. So uh, I've said as much as I can say. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about good old fashioned sports betting, or just people who are interested in point spreads and don't ever bet a dime on this stuff. 
We already gave you some picks this week on the Ramen Noodle Express. We are 57.8% against the spread this year. Let's get over 58 to end the year. Missouri is playing Mississippi State. That is a Saturday game. We've got the Tigers of Missouri minus one and a half. Oregon, three and a half point underdog against Southern Cal. We're taking the Ducks plus three and a half. We're taking Washington State plus 10 and a half against Utah. These are the two new numbers. We are releasing them right now. Northwestern versus Ohio State. We're taking under 57 in that game. And we are indeed riding the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame plus 10 and a half against Clemson. So for those of you listening on podcast, Missouri minus one and a half, Oregon plus three and a half, Washington State plus 10 and a half, Northwestern Ohio State under 57, and Notre Dame plus 10 and a half. Been a really good week. I will give you a heads up because I had someone cancel on me today. First come, first serve. I've got uh, one or two consultation sessions open tomorrow night. Those of you interested in sports media, you may want to start a podcast, YouTube channel, whatever the case Email me and grab that. I Probably by the time we end the show, they'll be taken. So joshpate706 at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. It also occurred to me that we are close to 1,000 five-star reviews on the Late Kick podcast. So far more than 1,000 people are going to watch this show. In fact, we had about 40-some-odd K watch on YouTube alone the other night. So do me a favor, at least 1,000 of you. Go over and find the Late Kick podcast in your Apple podcast feed or your brothers or your mom. Steal a phone if you have to and give us a five-star review. Get us over a thousand. It's been one of the goals of ours all year. One of the very few result-oriented goals we have around here. We have that Nick Saban attitude. Process over prize until it's December 17th and New Year's is on the horizon and we want to get a thousand. So give us a five-star review on the Late Kick podcast. Several of you already have. Thank you so much for that. And with that, it's time for Director Colin and I to go hibernate for pretty much the entire weekend. So for Director Colin, for myself, for producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, thank you so much for making this a very, very good week for us. Looking forward to a weekend full of great games. I'll see you back here Sunday night. Until then, have yourselves a great rest of your evening and God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.